Westworld Theorycast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. Go to Cufflinks.com right now and use code DVR20 to save 20% off your order, no minimum. Cufflinks.com is the men's accessory marketplace. We all know that Cufflinks.com has Game of Thrones, Star Wars, Star Trek, Mandalorian, Disney, every amazing geeky thing. They have products that match your desires, as well as having the classic wearable art brands like Ox and Bull, Hook and Albert, and of course, Cufflinks' own brand, Cufflinks, baby. We all know that there's a coronavirus going around, and we want everyone to be safe and happy, and a lot of things have been canceled, okay? And a lot of sales that Cufflinks had have been canceled too, NCAA, things like that, but They have now put over 700 items on their sale page to get a great discount while people are planning that next outing with their friends. When this all clears up and you go out, you're still going to have to look good. So head over to cufflinks.com today. We wish you and your family well. Have a great day. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Westworld Theorycast. Want to just give a little intro here and thank Justin Thomas for taking over for me today. Wasn't able to make the recording time with Jenny and Brett because I was over recording Batch It Up, our bachelor podcast where Sarah and I talked about Listen to Your Heart. That's right, baby. So if you like that, check that out. That's called Batch It Up. But uh, for now, please listen to Justin and Jenny and Brett. They had a fantastic show. Once again, thanks, Justin. He'll be back next week, and I will be back for episodes eight and nine. I'm also on the show on Monday with Ken, so you can check that out as well. So here's Justin. What's going on, everybody? Justin Thomas here from Top Shelf Fandom. We have the Westworld Theorycast. I'm joined by Jenny and Brett. There is the Monday episodes with Ken and Axel. Also, the Friday cleanup crew with Gina, Tim, and Andy. You can find out more about the DVR Podcast Network and all of the other great series in which they cover. Better Call Saul is one of the main ones they're doing right now that they're covering with Ashaya from History of Westeros in Axel. So please do take a moment to write a review. Give that five star to them and give that subscribe. What's going on, everybody? We're going to talk some Westworld Season 3, Episode 5, Genre. Hey, Justin. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm all right. <laughs> it went down from there. I tried to, I tried to embody Axel, Sorry. and now my misery has set in. I'm always just like, hey, Axel. So, I know. hey, Justin, how you doing? Uh-huh. I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Brett. Yeah, no, I will never match that energy again for the cast. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought it sounded pretty good. <laughs> that was the carny in me. That, that was my old DJ voice. So, all right. We are um, very lucky to have this nice simulcast, this nice collaboration. Axel is busy because he said, hey, you want to know what would be cool for a podcast? Every show ever. And that's what he's doing. So we are going to go ahead and step in for him as he stepped in for or offered to step in for me uh, when I, I thought I might be uh, dying of COVID. Uh, but I, 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 I soldiered through. So we're here with two great people. Uh, and I love the amount of research you've done. I love what you've done as your body of work as a whole. And I'm really excited to talk about this episode because this is one admittedly that I didn't have a lot of time to watch before in my after show, which I'm a little bit trying to redeem myself for, but I'm not going to lie. Still, I'm a little bit mixed on. So overall feelings first to you, Brett, and then to you, Jenny, just about the show in general, meaning this episode. I I did enjoy the show. Uh, I'd say the first time I watched it, it 
it all you know with this with less work it always takes a while to sink in um but i i i'm a sucker for a good origin story we got a lot of good you know Ciroc backstory we got some uh interesting uh caleb flashbacks and uh so it, it was pretty good i liked it excellent yes uh yeah those those are going to be points that we're going to be touching on jenny how'd you feel about it overall I really liked it. It was funny because normally when I'm watching um, the first time through on Sunday night, I don't take any notes. I take my notes when I do my rewatch, but I had like just these, I don't know, what was it, like eight lines I sent to you, Brett? <laughs> eight lines? You guys can't see on camera what I'm holding up right now. These are the notes in which these two lovely people take. Please First off, be jealous of this gold. Second off, yeah, know how attentive they are and how dedicated they are, because this now, is when, insane. When I do my rewatch, I do take a, a bit of uh, tedious notes, but I guess my notes are, I think they're like four and a half pages long this time. But yeah, I sent him eight, eight lines during my watch or after my watch um, on Sunday night, because they were things that I actually occurred to me while I was watching it right away. And that doesn't happen to me that often because usually I'm just like <laughs> trying to get it all in. And then like the rewatch is what brings out any thoughts that I have on it or whatever. But I like had thoughts when I watched it on Sunday night. I really thought it was good. At inception. Thought at first inception. I love it. Uh, and I've been reading Jenny's thoughts and making the same tired joke before I've ever met Jenny, which she can say whatever she wants to me. Uh, and, and rightfully so. Uh, but I've always been a uh um a, a fan right here and uh brett factual uh am i saying that right or is it brett actual uh breadual okay so ron <laughs> in three ways um as always yeah so no i've been a fan of as well you guys are both professionals i'm really excited to do this really excited to step into the shoes even if they aren't Accompanied by some badass cufflinks from cufflinks.com. Um, waiting on those, Axel. Um, but yeah, no, uh, and talk with you guys because it is true. You know, Westworld is at first, uh, entertainment and then there's always these profound, uh, insights that you can, um, you know, have come to you in an rewatch or the second watch or the third watch or maybe the fourth watch but even in retrospect going back and watching the first season is so uh enlightening to me so i did find uh, jenny in your notes that you have a lot of cool insights into the uh, dynamic which we knew was similar with ford um as well as bernard that take place within Sirac and his brother in dempsey uh did you want to touch on any of that before we get into it and then we'll go over to brett to his overall uh you know theory about what we see going on with the business the corporate dynamic so yeah it was when um Ciroc, it was actually when he was talking to the brazilian president when he was sitting they were sitting out on the airfield and um when i saw that scene the way and, and i'm not i'm not a film person like like axel is or you know i don't know all that stuff about the way that but but the scene like it was set up the yes. same way as the scene the cinematography was meant to yeah. mirror like the the way they were sitting there and everything and it was like i i noticed it right away that it mirrored back to that scene with ford and Teresa in season one when they were sitting at that restaurant um and uh one of the, I, I mean i had like little break line by line things that I thought were interesting about it. But like, if y'all had any thoughts on it, too, I would gladly hear them. I just thought it was interesting how 
the the things that Ford was saying to Teresa were also similar to the things that Sirach was saying to the president Philo and um, how they were talking about the different things with uh, the, um, uh, the, sorry, my brain's not working. This happens to me sometimes. Well, you spent it all on these extensive notes. You, I, yeah, don't, don't worry about <laughs> I mean, it. I could read you. I could read no, no, no. you what I, I wrote. Uh, can I, can I, I jump in on it then? Because yeah, what you free. and I think you've really shed light on this for me, and I want to have you on one of these after shows. Uh, but what I see as well, I, I definitely agree. And what we've seen is, um, and this is my own takeaway going off of your very, very intelligent uh, um, insight here, is that you know it's all about when you're trying to convince somebody that they need you. It's not that they're better with you, with with you. It's that they're. It's not a possibility to exist without you, right? Um, I think that's what's been exhibited in this meeting. This wasn't a, um, you know, a, a play for, hey, I could make this so much better by Ford with Teresa, nor, you know, um, Sirac with Philo. This was a, what are you going to do without me? More yes. situation. Yes. Both of them had like a power dynamic flip occurred. In yes. Some, because Teresa went yes. in to the fourth conversation and she felt totally comfortable in control about uh, laying it out for him just like the Brazilian president did with Sirach. And by the end of the conversation, both of them realized, well, I don't really have a choice in this at all. So it, it was very similar. I agree. That's good stuff, Jenny. Yes. Thank you guys for stepping in because I was like stumbling. Oh, oh don't worry. You there. just owe me for the rest of the podcast because it's going to happen <laughs> constantly with me. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, and it's it's obvious that they're mirroring it, right? And like uh, what Brett, you just said, you just said, you know, oh, I thought I had it like Teresa thought she had it under control. Philo thought they had it under control. This is their mistake, in my opinion. They thought they were controlling the game. They didn't realize that the game creator was there. You know, it's like, oh, I've got this under control. And then you've got um, I somebody now think of a uh, a famous game maker, uh, Bradley, something around on those Milton lines. Bradley. Milton Bradley. There you go. There you go. Yeah. You know, you're you're essentially saying, oh, no, no, I got it. I got it under control. I got boardwalk. I've got, uh, you know, um, all of the best estates, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, who's the one that set the rules for this game? Do you think that's a fair comparison that it's like, okay, yeah, so you think you got this game under control, but who's the one making the rules for this game? Who's the one that's created the game in which you live in? Yes. Exactly. That is it. That is it. Yes. Thank you, guys. Martin Garvin's is another. Uh, Martin Gardens. <laughs> Mar- no, it's Marvin. Marvin Garvin's. Yeah, there we go. I'll mix them both together. <laughs> Nor Avenue and yeah. Park Place. And man, <laughs> yeah. I played a lot of Monopoly when I was a child. Yeah. If I can't get it right the first time, I'll just mash them together. So, uh, yeah, we, we know what I'm talking about, though. So, yeah, we see the, um, the almost opening salve, right? To a war because we have not seen government explored in the series thus far. We've seen it being a corporate metocracy. So uh, what right. we're dealing with is a situation in which, you know, capitalism rules the world. Evidently, if you do good, because that sounds great at surface level, hey, you guys do what you're supposed to do. Everybody's going to be fine. Uh, but it doesn't turn out to be um, as pleasant or as, um, you know, simple as that. Um you know, so what are your guys' thoughts about the injection of government and who really is running things and where they're running it from? Because seemingly he's in a a sky blimp above the world in a, <laughs> running things. Sirach, you know, I mean, what do you think about the fact that he had to go to the government? I don't think he had to go to the government. I think that 
he felt that that was the easiest course of action to take because he went to that president and said, hey, you need to stop fucking around with your people and stop taking away whatever it was he was taking away from those people in the north that was causing the unrest and let them have it back. Stop doing what you're doing because and then the guy's like, how are you going to insult me here in fr- or threaten me in front of my military? And he's like, I- I- this isn't a threat, dude. I'm just letting you know this is how it's going to go down. So you can either do what you're supposed to do or bye bye. Ooh, I love that. Do what you're supposed to do. And I think this really touches, this episode specifically touches on do what you're supposed to do. Uh, one of Brett's brilliant theories here is Serac's brother doesn't exist. Uh, and we do get a background and a backstory to Serac and his brother and what we've seen. Uh, Brett, do you kind of want to walk us through a little bit of that? Who the man is telling people there's levels to this game? Yeah, so it occurred to me that, well, all these files that uh, Ciroc, uh, all the files on Ciroc that Dolores is accessing throughout the show, they were put into the system by Ciroc. So this is essentially the story that he wants Rehoboam to consider when it strategizes. So it occurs to me that it, it's possible that Ciroc's brother doesn't even exist. If you consider much of the backstory is... Um, that his brother is the real mastermind and the architect of the system while Serac is mostly standing by. But everything that we have learned so far, including Liam saying, you know, who is a child, a part of this story was saying that Serac is the original architect. Also, um, Serac said his brother was the one who wanted MC senior killed, but we know that Serac is a control freak. There's no reason for his business partner, who's kind of overstaying his welcome, uh, to be around anymore. So the simple explanation for me is that Serac himself wanted Dempsey, you know, kill or eliminated out of the picture the whole well, time. He might have agreed, but his brother did actually say the words. Well, yeah. What? I, yeah. What? I, yeah. Go ahead. In that file, he did. But well, he said it out loud to Serac. When they were meeting with uh, Dempsey and young Liam um, in the past and his memory. But I guess that he, but I'm saying, he yeah. fed this stuff to Rehoboam, so he could have like just made it sound. Oh, yeah. My, 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 <laughs> my argument is that memory is the part of the file that he no, put. because Rehoboam. he doesn't exist, Jenny. So he could have made the memory of him whispering, you know, to, to sell the story. Sorry, I forgot uh, the, the lead here. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Listening to the rest of it, and then I totally forgot that that's what we're First off, I'm landing in between, and I'm not just doing that to, you know, because there's a chance that we never talk again after this anyways, if, uh, you know, uh, I, I can... No, I'm not saying I agree or <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm joking. I'm obviously, well, I just... I just had forgotten that was what, what the premise was. I'm... I'm I'm proposing that it's a possibility that it's really right. Dusty. Yes, yes, and I'm just joking. Yeah, I'm saying it's a possibility that this third party gets, you know, really left on outs after myself, uh, unfortunately. But here's the thing. What I think you got here, Brett, is a very uh, keen insight into what's going on, and it's very similar to Ford and Arnold, right? Because the capability of uh, creating, or even more so, erasing evidence of somebody's presence in somebody's, um, you know, 
their actions within the formation of a uh, company or a um, intellectual property, whatever it may be. What we've seen here is that the big takeaway is Ciroc enters everything in, right? Whether or not the brother is fake, real, the big takeaway is what do we know for sure? The That he enters everything in. Is there a consensus on that one? Yeah, well, and that's uh, that's also part of the theory is that he wants to remain on the peripheral as much as possible. So he wants somebody that can he he can hold responsible that's not himself, kind of throws it on his brother. He's the one that's the architect. He's the one that wanted Dempsey killed, and he's the one that's the outlier. Which is another thing is that I wonder if Sirach realized that he himself is the outlier through previous, you know, builds, you know, the predecessors of Rehoboam, he could have realized that he was an outlier and he didn't want to put that information into Rehoboam. So, uh, because of what Rehoboam tends to do with outliers, what put them through the wood chipper and they spit out uh, dead or useless, whatever the line is. Yeah. And so he, he kind of threw that on his brother. Like a scapegoat. It's like you can't fire somebody that's not in management. So why don't I create management and then we can say that we put them in the wood chipper. So he he feeds the data in and then he holds someone else responsible so that he's kind of anonymous. I love it. A virtual uh, scapegoat. I love it. Um, But it, it and again, that's a great theory. And I think that the great thing about it is the information in which you provided is we know for sure that Ciroc is in complete control of the system. So that has other implications as well, right? Whether or not that ends up being true or not, we can all agree that he is the one that's in charge. This has other implications. This is similar to Ford's situation, except for you're proposing a kind of a switch in the um, Ford took 35 years to correct his mistake and see what Arnold saw. Uh, Ciroc might it taken a little bit to create somebody else having the same mistake in which he made, meaning, you know, scapegoating somebody. So there's a parallel there, but I don't like the, um, you know, the idea of there being that direct parallel. I've always had a kind of an issue with that, even though it's cyclic. I get that about the show, but I've always had kind of an issue with this being far too similar of a creation story that Delos has. Um, and I guess it's something we can debate. And Jenny, if you have any thoughts on that, my takeaway from this is excellent theory, Brett. And it's something that you need to get on YouTube and put a video together because that will sell like hotcakes. <laughs> you have a hundred thousand. Uh, it, it, but at the same time, there's, you know, logic to it. There's credence to it. And I like it. So, uh, you know, let's put it out there right now. Let's put it on the board. There is a chance that Sirach's brother doesn't exist. At the very least, what we can take away from Brett's, uh, intelligent insight here is that we know for a fact that within the context of our story, we're dealing with a, owner of a company, a controller of a large corporation that seems to be more in control than the government, um, that is able to do whatever he wants and maybe virtually scapegoat somebody else. So he has complete autonomy over it. Pretty much. <laughs> Dangerous, right? I think there is merit to your theory. I do well, not know if I am on that train yet, but... And that, uh, I think this is something we'll find out soon enough because I have a feeling that Bernard and uh, Stubbs are going to this re-education center where supposedly his brother is or was at some point in the recent mm-hmm. past. And that's what the only thing, Brett, and now we're, ju- we're just meeting for the first time on air, and, y- and you'll learn that I'm a Debbie Downer. And 
You'll also learn that you can poke holes in what I say, uh, and please feel free to. That is my issue with this theory, is that the uh, re-education, first off, as soon as you start saying re-education, people, you're, you're fucked. You're done. Like that, you're, you're, history will never, ever, and we're going to talk about how we shape history and the stories we tell about it, because it comes into play here shortly, and trains as well. Nice connections. I missed a few segues. But um, about, you know, how it they come about these re-education systems, and, you know, we do see that his brother is in, put into it, and we do see the type of ideology in which he follows. So I think it is speaking to who he is as a character. I was never of the mind, because I don't know. It's because I'm a pseudo-intellectual or, you know, this wannabe playwright that I can always tell that at least stories like Westworld are never going to be lasers on top of sharks' heads. You know, like, there's always going to be, like, some reason for the evil person to be thinking it's ethical to do the evil in which they do, like, to bloody their hands for the revolution. But um, I think that we got some newly added layers here with these um, re-education systems, and that possibly ties to Caleb. So that's where I see the disconnect in the theory, um, because, you know, like, they're using it to bridge together a few story threads. But at the same time, and this isn't the only one you came up with just for this episode, and I, I got the, you know, the honor of being able to read some of the years from before, and God... They are good. I love them. Um, much better than just simulation within a simulation within a simulation to nothing matters. Um, but we will move on and we'll talk about simulation to the main theme of this episode, which is the title, um, genre. Um, you know, we are living in a world that's built off of tropes. We have history and retrospect, which is story, Americana, um, the old West. You know, which was really just full of syphilis and slow death. Um, but, you know, it's all about the the white savior coming into town and making everything better. Um, are the guy, the guns, you know, then you get the uh, the anti-spaghetti uh, we- uh, westerns in which you have, uh, you know, the old gunslinger that has to bring himself back to these, uh, you know, ways that he's tried to seek redemption for. So we are very much so creatures of story. Stories are just like books or doors. They open a a door to another world. Um, so we are seeing a, an atmosphere in which we see Dolores connecting with humans, right guys? But is she connecting with humans because they're in loops just like she is? Are they in loops just like she is because of Westworld because of Delos has Delos created the loops in which humans live in? Um, or is there just this, you know, very, very much so, uh, like, like, high high um you know similarity connection to the way in which we live and the way in which these hosts live which i think is overall message of the show but is delos responsible for these loops meaning her kind was responsible in the creation or is this just uh you know circumstance no they're not responsible because the timeline of events the um explosion in paris happened in 2025 supposedly and um Delos already existed at that time. So I don't, but it wasn't old. They, I don't know that it was open yet. Um, but you know, they had that three year period that they were working on this stuff before they, uh, before Westworld ever even opened to the public. So, um, I don't think that Delos had that, um, effect because I think that it was close in timeline when, uh, Ciroc and his brother or not brother, um, developed insight and started with the predecessors of Rehoboam, um, 
to try and make a god to make the world a better place. And they wound up at the same time creating something very similar to what um, Delos was doing inside of Westworld because they had decided they wanted to make money off of it and they were being greedy. So they let, they did their thing. And it's like these, I think the things happened nearly simultaneously, very close to simultaneously, but uh, you know, this, this group of people was doing it on the outside world. And this group of people was doing it in a theme park, but they were doing it in the theme park in a way that, you could let go of all your inhibitions and have your bad side come out and do whatever you want to do. And on the outside world, everybody, well, those people wouldn't have been going to the park anyway because they didn't have money because Rehoboam or its predecessors were putting them in, uh, in, you know, they were telling them what their lives could be. So if you were someone that might be an outlier, they were putting you in menial jobs and you would never have the money to go and be able to express yourself in those ways that people could do inside the parks at Westworld. Hold on, because I'm calling my boss to quit. Um, but, uh, no, no. Okay. Let me, let me rephrase it though, because very, oh my God. I, that was really, that was really good. No, that was really good. No, that's usually what I do, but way better. Um, so no. Epic rant and in a lot of insight on that. No, really good. Uh, all puns intended with insight. So let me rephrase n- my now shameful <laughs> question: I- Is Ray Boehm able to operate in which the way they're able to operate because of Delos? And, and the causality, as you point out, doesn't add up. I'll do a sound effect for you know it's just a shutdown on Justin here. Clap back. <laughs> uh, but no, don't. No, you're right because the causality isn't there. Um, it's it, it's too close. So um, is it a um situation in which we have a um Delos because they do need the information from Delos, so they have become dependent on them. But this isn't a new philosophy on culture ideology per se that that Delos made available to them. Delos tech, and we have always heard since Teresa, since, you know, the very first season, that there is a difference between what the park wants, what management wants, what Delos wants. So there's always been alternative motives and stuff like that. So I think what we're led to believe is that, you know, Delos created a uh, atmosphere in which, you know, many people had different um, motivations to create and different ideas and ideals about what it would be. What it turned out to be was just like everything in you know, this world, um, you know, uh, taken advantage of and, and, and sold and, and essentially, you know, ah, man, I'm trying not to say hoard out, but I, I can't think of another word. So I'm saying hoard out. Um, sorry, Axel. Uh, but yeah, it is something that I believe was technology that was exploited, but you know, will with, with the very, uh, notion of it was very well known in which this technology was going to be used for things that weren't necessarily advantageous. Brett, do you think that the world has drastically changed because of the Delos tech, or do you think it was going down that route anyways? Uh, that's interesting. I think it would probably go down that route anyway, because that's the nature of, uh, it, I guess, human history, is that you're always going to have people that are in positions of power that are greedy, and want want more control, um, so I I feel like you have that when you look at Ford and when you look at Ciroc, you have two people that built places where they could control, you know exactly what was going on. Um, it is interesting that Ciroc did have a transaction with Delos twenty years ago, 
And I believe the way Charlotte Hale put it is, um, you sold, she, when she was talking to William, she said, you sold this guy a piece of your technology and he built a fortune out of it. And now he's coming after yours or something. Mm-hmm. So whatever that was, that piece of information did, I guess, probably jumpstart the, uh, Rehoboam project. But the belief in the, um, the goal was already there. It's just, they might've not had, you know, it, they they might have not have adapted it as quickly, but it, it wasn't like this is what, oh, Delos has a park in which we could exploit this, you know, to use this. Because they both have different uh, goals in the end. There's immortality on one end, and then there's control of the mortal on the other end. And that's what we're going to get into is the controlling of society, which this is a series that starts with, can hosts be sentient? First off, named by us branded by us uh it is claimed and named and every bit of the criterion uh you know applies to us uh people that are new to me that are listening to this on the podcast i'm not a big fan of people just claiming consciousness exists within us because we got it and nobody else does and we should dismiss it and others i'm currently going through jillian jane's uh bicameral mind a dead theory yes mm-hmm. but still very very much so applicable to this story and and how we should go about the way in which they are presenting us with this information so we're dealing with a situation in which it's like we are mapping consciousness or at least trying to we need technology to do so but we also see now the real world isn't just this place in which is completely free and then like um i believe it was brett you said it, that they were not just going there because that's the only place they could do it. It, it. This is a place in which, you know, yes, the rich were able to engage in it on a higher level, but what they've used is a little drug called genre, in which we learned about in the previous episode, but really um, get um, down the rabbit hole with this episode. Genre is a drug that is much like it sounds. It, uh, it allows you to live through tropes, you know, just like there are Westerns, just like there are sci-fi, horror, and so forth, action, we go through it. So it is all about not just what you're doing, but how you perceive what you're doing and how society can mold that. But also, you know, technology can be definitely molded through the adjustment of, you know, their attributes with a iPad. But psychedelically, as well as pharmaceutically, you can be adapted to a just the same degree, if not higher. Uh, is always been my argument, and I think it's a commentary that's been in these dystopian novels since the beginning of time. Uh, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World touches on this, and there's another novel in which Nolan uh, claims to be drawing off of. For this one, I have it somewhere in my notes. I have not read it yet. I braved through a Brave New World. But what are your guys' initial thoughts on our initial journey through genre, starting with a little bit of film noir? Go ahead. Uh, I'm not sure, honestly. I'm not sure how to interpret the uh, the genre drug in, into uh, this episode with Caleb. Well, then I'll, I'll lead you here uh, because uh, we have Stand on Zanbar is the cited Hugo Award winning novel. If you can name me five other Hugo Award winning novels, anybody, please, on the spot without looking it up. Not you guys, but yeah, yeah. Then feel free to boast in my face. But uh, yeah, I guarantee you can. Anyways, um, so this is, a again, a, a trope in which we have uh, adhered to throughout time about, you know, having a populace that is subdued through pharmaceuticals. And now we see them sued through te- uh, subdued through technology, excuse me. Um, but I see genre as that 
very notion. It is, if you are going to have a controlled society, you need a docile society. I know for a fact, as a past DJ of 10 years, clubs in Detroit, that the way I got through my nights, unfortunately, um, and what kept me up for many nights after was the way in which I got through those nights being content, right? Um, it is, you know, a narrative about how we have, um, toured our minds in order to just experience the everyday, just nonchalant, um, you know, really mundane in a, um, in a way that is, uh, euphoric in a way that is exciting for us, you know? So I'm following you. There. Yeah. Drugs make things better, but don't do them is, is kind well, of the thing. Because so kind of like with um, the the different ways he goes through the uh, film noir thing and then like the action thing and then the love story thing. And then the one with the, the major Tom uh, or space oddity where um, it's uh, he asks Giggles what what genre is this? And he says, it's reality, man. Yeah. Or something like that. And then, um, then there's the one with the shining theme or whatever at that. So, but basically these people are living on loops, like the people here, the, the hosts in the park, they're living on their loops. And so they have little of excitement or whatever, because everything is predictive and they've just like that. I mean, why do you think like, Caleb supposedly was going to commit suicide in 10 to 12 years or whatever. Like he had nothing. He was just living this day to day grind and didn't seem to have anything that made him happy. And to try and keep his mom in that facility that she was in, he would do these side uh, criminal jobs and that would give him a little bit of excitement, but taking, so for most people taking something like this genre drug would like give them something out of the ordinary to spice up their, what, what within the ordinary. Yeah. Keep keep them content. Yeah, it it is a a great scheme for, you know, keeping because the best way to predict what people are going to do is by, you know, having a docile populace. And we've seen this all this Huxley does it through, you know, shock um, waves throughout floor panels, very, uh, you know, archaically in Soma, you know, and and you go on to see uh, great great songs be made about soma uh but yeah it, it is to keep you content you know um trust me the, the the most content people in the world are high 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 as shit so yeah if you don't want people to question what's going on around them yeah genre is a great way to go about it so we do see this experience but also we're getting to see him go through these events which are definitely a trying time for him right because up until now dolores has told him he's been given a very viable and very uh advantageous uh scenario by Dolores. I'm not saying she's lying, but I'm saying her pitch and I, I'm interested in what you have to say about the spread. It is, you know, definitely leaning obviously, no no shame, but more towards Dolores's way. Because, oh, you're going to die. They predict that you got nothing going on. I'll help you. And she she looks like she is this like, you know, third party that's like, I'll even give you money if you don't want to be with me. I mean, come on. That that is just that's a good sell right there. It's like she doesn't even say I'll save your life. It's like well I'll save your life if you'll do this with me. No no no. She says I'll just save your life. If you want money, you can have it. it. She gives him a cause. She gives him motivation. So he is now at this point where he keeps having to do things, and he is still not questioned her reality, his reality, her biological humanity so this is a scenario in which he is going questioning it in this episode yes no no no, that's what i'm saying (laughs) is he's getting to that point 
but he's drugged. He's drugged and he's seen, you know, uh, the bell craze that is, you know, like a, um, a Vietnam, um, I believe it is, uh, is it, uh, it's apocalypse now in which they use that, uh, you know, and you have a, a series of genres that he filters through and we can have this in our life as well. How we feel about a certain situation can dictate the actual information about that situation. We are emotional beings, not really logical beings unfortunately um not to down on anybody but it's just a, a you know a, a fact so it is what it is we we let emotion trump things so if you have something that gives you a euphoric feeling a um you know hallucinogenic um experience it is going to jam up your sensorium and it is going to make you view this in a separate way so this whole trip on a train which by the way a train goes which way one way the way they want you to go so he's on a train the destination which he gladly got on, but once you're on that train, it, it, you're going one way and one way only. And his ability to question it, you could argue by some people that benefit, and I know them, that will claim they have the, the most insightful and profound thoughts when they're tripping. Um, you know, they will say that this is the best experience for Caleb. But also, we see him questioning things. Mainly, what Liam says to him, when Liam puts on glasses and looks at Caleb, what does he say? He says, it's you. What does that mean to you guys? Well, it's, he seemed afraid of him after mm-hmm. he looked at him through the glasses. And yeah. then at the end, when they were on the beach, he said to him, you did it. Like and you. so what What do you guys have any thoughts on? Sorry, I'm answering a question with yeah. a question. But no, 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 no. Continue on. Any, Let's see if you can do, do it the most. Do you have any thoughts on uh, what Caleb has done that's so frightening to Liam? Like, what what is it that he did? Do you think it was that he killed his friend? Do you think it was something else? Yes. And then in addition, because Caleb is an outlier, do you think that maybe... Because Brett has a theory about him, uh, Caleb, being a host-human hybrid. Right, um, Brett. Um, if, or like mate and and i've like thought his theory was pretty good i'm like i'll go with that i don't know if it's true or not but i'll go with that it sounds good <laughs> um but maybe he's some sort of new hybrid created by Sirac, um because of him being an outlier and maybe he was sent to those re-education uh places and maybe that's part of what liam was seeing when he looked at him so there i have lots of questions oh no 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 and let me go before you brett because i was trying to lead (laughs) us into to your theory and let me be very clear because i'm not going to assume you watch all my videos by any means it's not even a fair thing to do but i will always question simulation theory i will always question making humans that embody you know humanity as a host because i feel like that is just like taking your story back two steps you get what i mean but Mm-hmm. I appreciate logic and what I've read is logic behind your theories. So let me preface it with that and play devil's <laughs> advocate because it is not because trust me, I, I hate myself some simulation within a simulation within it just to a point. It doesn't even matter anymore. And it's like, all right, uh, we get reality. It's not finite. Thank you to today's sponsor Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities with host read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, pre-roll ads, mid-roll ads. Now, I've been using Podcorn on not only this podcast, but some of our other podcasts. They make it super easy. Now, I know I have a lot of podcast listeners and a lot of listeners that are podcasters. 
head over to podcorn.com because you can hook up with some great sponsors. Now, not only is it a great way to make money for yourself and your podcast, but it's also a great way to get in contact with other companies and other podcasters who are using Podcorn. Go over to podcorn.com, sign up for an account, and check it out. Take it from me. I've already had about 10 ads running. Money's coming in. It's helping support the show, keeping me afloat, especially during these tough times. Podcorn is a great place for podcasters to go to monetize their podcast. The Marketplace mission is to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when we monetize. So click in my show notes to sign up to Podcorn and start browsing those sponsorship opportunities today. Jenny has just alluded to is that he seemed fearful. He gave this expression of it was you, not just it's you. You know, it was you like, oh, my God, like you're the ghost of Christmas past. You know, um, you know, he Scrooge, he Scrooge duck in it there. And then we yeah. see at the very end, he did it in almost a completion sense, like meaning you completed what you needed to do for these train. And I hate to say this, but I will never use this type of selective research that others use. I will always say this happened. I have to acknowledge it happened because within our story, we've been given a, a narrative in which he is scared, but then he seems a little bit relieved that he has concluded these sets of action in which he set out to conclude that are necessary for some greater scheme which would allude to some type of simulation some type of something at least we're not keen to so yeah it doesn't make sense because he seems afraid of him but i would argue also shocked that it is him and there's this key that none of us know about so what is this key is caleb this key is he changed because of this re-education system or is this just something that he was always set out to do? Cause I'm kind of, I'm going to take the middle ground like a pansy on this one and say it, it's <laughs> well, a yeah, mix of all of them. No, no clear, no, no clear point, but made by me. Note it. <laughs> well, the, the Caleb is a host human hybrid theory was an episode one theory for the record. Now it hasn't been totally discounted yet, but <laughs> right. We still like um, it. <laughs> I still like it, but we haven't really seen any like, and, you know, we haven't seen a whole lot of that kind of technology yet this season. So, but what I will say about Caleb is I believe he is the out, like the outlier of all outliers. And the way I interpreted Liam's reaction to him is that he, he saw into Caleb and saw that he did kill his friend. And that he's, the kind, of, and that he's the kind of person that I guess can uh, kill, kill his friend. Now, I do believe. Uh, based on those, the flashes that he had, the memory flashes that he was probably forced into becoming a double agent and was forced to save the, uh, whoever was kidnapped there with the bag over his head. Some, probably some political leader. Yeah. But take a hostage. Caleb as a double agent was probably forced to release him and then cover his tracks, which meant killing his friend. Francis. We are talking about Francis, right? Who yes. he speaks to him. Yeah, his friend Francis, right. So, and that, and that's probably the, the mission that he was given because he's an outlier and he was thrown into war and maybe he was thrown into war and that didn't work. And so then he was made a, a, a double agent hoping that, you know, the, the killing of his own friend would force him to kill himself. Mm-hmm. He has not killed himself. And so, it, it it seems like 
whatever the system keeps throwing at him, he keeps overcoming it. God, even though God that he, makes so much sense. He doesn't quite understand. He can't quite remember everything because at the same time, they're wiping his memories, I'm sure, and like brainwashing as, him. Yep, as the so, host. But that, I believe Liam kind of saw that he's, he's capable of doing that kind of thing. And that's why he's like the worst of them. Like, like he, he is so much about. similar to Dolores. God, you just, you really just sold me on that. I'm not even joking. Like you, you just pointed out how he can be so similar to Dolores, but how that isn't advantageous to her, right? Those similarities work against her. She sees them, she identifies with them, she connects with them, and then it can be used against her. It could be because he is an example of someone who's apparently cannot be controlled. He doesn't fit in a loop. He's 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 certain he's he's unable to be eliminated. <laughs> it seems like which, which makes him stand out of Rehoboam, but also makes him stand out to Dolores. So they Correct. have they have handpicked him to do what you just said. And again, this is me conceding here because I don't like the idea that he's anything other than just I. I'm like a star-crossed lover. I just want them to be, you know, married and do well. And I, I don't believe in believe in marriage, but I, I, I want them to be husband and wife. I want all this like you know like white picket fence thing to happen for some reason. I don't know what it is in me. It's a sucker in me, but that makes a lot of sense because what we're dealing with here is a situation in which this guy is nothing but genuine, right? So how could he not be genuine? Well, you just right. kind of explained how genuine can get you in the pits. Mm-hmm. Shit. In this world, sure. Yeah, yeah. So there's my excuse. Holy crap, Brett! Brett, you just you just laid one on us right there. So, um, uh, yeah. No, I knew I knew Axel was onto something. Um, so yeah, we are we are definitely left with options, especially with that third party. Now, you bring up a gentleman in the mask. For those that aren't um as attentive, and I wasn't on the first viewing, um, I did not notice him. It's a blink of an eye almost. We do see a hostage situation. So there is a bounty of sorts. There is stakes on the line. Um, so you, you believe that to be who? Me? I, I don't know. I, I believe it, it's, it's one of the political games that Sirak is playing with, with, you know, some countries or something like that. But I'm not exactly sure who that is. That was in a prior flashback, right? That wasn't in this episode, was it? There was in it. masks, um, Caleb and Francis doing so. It always seems shady well, to I me. I remember the one, there's a guy on his knees with a bag over his head, but I remember that being in a different episode. Did I you watch Watchmen, though? That. No, actually, no. Oh, the, I was going to say, cause I've seen it, one episode I got a lot of Watchmen, Watchmen. flashbacks. I'm not even, I wasn't <laughs> even a joke. Like, I had tried to, like, separate. My Watchmen. I was going to watch. Uh, I was considering watching it, and then we didn't have HBO anymore. And now I have HBO Go, um, but I have not watched it. Okay, I'm sorry for interrupting. I've just, I, I am actually not even joking. Like I've had to separate myself from Watchmen during this episode. It had so many vibes. To, I just uh, watched Altered Carbon, the second season of that. Have you watched that? And I'm I like, this is um, not yet. Those have, guys are way watch, too fit for me. Did you watch me. the first season of it either? Because the body shame that I'll feel after that. They're just so fit. Like, honestly, I used to be in really good shape and I just, I was get sad. But I no, I mean, those people have consciousness. Uh, it's like human consciousness from years and years. But I'm self-conscious. And they're like, they put it in a new human sleeve. Yeah, that's they- beautiful. So my vanity and my, and my <laughs> self-awareness, God, please take it away. Please. Anyway, I didn't agree. Sorry. I didn't agree to that. No. <laughs> Those abs, I didn't agree. I'm sorry. 
Uh, no, no, valid point. Um, but yeah, I think Brett, you you're, you're on to something there, and we are on a journey, a literal train going in one direction. That at one point I said Caleb is going to have to ask why, or he's going to have to say no. So he starts to question what's happening, but it's more so right, Jenny, that he's questioning what his reality is. Do you agree? Yeah, like when he's uh, he's he. He is questioning what he, you know, those flashbacks. I think they bother him and he wants more, um, frame of ref, frame of reference for them. But like, he did finally start asking questions out loud when, um, he saw in the scene when after she had, uh, released the Kraken, um, <laughs> they, uh, those people stopped the car and they started to fire at him and she immediately jumped in front of him and then she took at least three bullets i saw three bullet holes in her and he when he turned she turned around and he was looking at her and his eyes were like huge and she's like oh like zips up her jacket so he can't and then he asks her about it later and she's like we'll talk about that later so yeah, she's going to have to tell him soon about her reality. And then we're going to have to figure out, you know, he's he I, I, how is he going to react to that? But yeah, I think he's he is starting to have some questions, some more questions about his own reality because of the flashbacks that he keeps having. And it, they seem to be becoming more frequent. And also the chick that he's kind of seen keeps getting shot. And she keeps being okay. So it's like, hey, I met this really good looking girl that's really <laughs> smart. Oh my God. Like she's successful. What does she do? Uh, I think she's going to run the world. Uh, what else does she do? She gets <laughs> shot on a regular basis. It's like, okay, Justin, that's cool. Who have you, con- yeah, have you considered <laughs> that this is something maybe? Are you on drugs? Are you on it? I'm like, no, I'm not. No, it's just a chick. It's cool. You know, she gets shot all the time. So yeah, like we have to get like past that point because it's always that, that paradox of like, you know, you, of, um, you know, that, that suspension of disbelief. But if you start to see the, um, strings of the puppet show too, uh, vibrantly, you know, you have to think this is a fool and you can't really respect a fool. So when does Caleb start asking questions? I already find it fishy that he hasn't. And I'm talking far past plot convenience, but also we have some alert. Oh my God. I love this trope. The learn it hooligan. And I'm not saying there's not people that are doing robberies on the street that have literary references galore. I, but I'm also saying I, I worked downtown Detroit for many years and very little that I have literary works of, 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 you know, the golden age, uh, be, uh, thrown at me. So what do you guys think about, uh, you know, Marshall and, uh, company? You guys, um, like that aspect of the story? Any thoughts? My only thoughts are fits purposely, uh, you know, are, uh, perfectly with the theme of the story, but also it does, lend to the narrative of these people aren't unintelligent. They're just not able to access the same, um, you know, uh, resources in which others are, you know, because he's, what is it? The Fisher King in which Marshall, uh, references. Um, it's some, it, it is a book that I have not read. Um, it, my point, you, you get what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I'll look it up, but yeah, there, there's multiple references, literary references, and that's very popular within sci-fi. It's always a Pinocchio thing there. Uh, you know, uh, Alice in Wonderland thing here, but I think it really drives home the point of it's not, these people are uneducated It's they're not, you know, able to access those resources. So, um, I, I do think that Marshall, I don't watch football. Uh, that much, but I think he's done a pretty good job. Uh, the lettering on his shirts that say his emotions are kind of a tell 
for poker. So I'd like to play poker against him. It's like, uh, but besides that, Brett, any, any thoughts on that? I know it's, you know, not much I'm giving you there, but I, I found it to be a little bit, um, you know, I don't know, humical, uh, not yeah, hum- yeah humorous, sorry, humical. It was a com- kind of a comic relief to see him again. Uh, it's, it reminded me of the, uh, Ed Sheeran cameo in Game of Thrones. Yes. <laughs> Just like not, not an actor at all, but held his own for a few lines there. And, you know, it was kind of fun. Yeah, I, I believe it's. Um, what are you gonna do with the young prince? There, it's a. Uh, it it, it Lord, is little Lord Roy. <laughs> yes, there you go. So it's always these like things <laughs> where that struck me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's always those things. But I, I like it because overall, that is a, a truthful co- uh, commentary on our society itself. Is that people aren't necessarily uneducated or um, unable. They're just not able to have those, um, you know, uh, types of it you know, opportunities. And that's kind of what Caleb is presented with is, oh, well, they gave up on you. So you are going to fail. So is it, did they give up on you because you're going to fail or did you fail because they gave up on you? So it's that paradox right there. And sadly, as many ill-advised and inept, you know, analogies I want to make, it is a truthful commentary on society. So I think they really do hit it home with that. It is a trope, though, that everybody, everybody's a very much so a, a masters in the humanities on the street, um, in, in these stories. And I, and I do love it, though. I think they are driving home a truthful point, though. Uh, so we get to the point in which we leave the train and we go to the beach where a decision needs to be made. We've already alluded to this with the bullets and so forth. But during this whole time, we've got what I like to call the the Walmart party boys. Bernard and Stubbs. <laughs> I mean, just I, I hate to do it, but I mean, come on. How inept can you be? I mean, Bernard's supposed to be so smart. And he's been, it's like he opened up some Cracker Jacks and he looked for the little like uh, professor spyglass in there, you know, um, and he has been trying to solve a mystery when he's dealing with artificial intelligence and predictive technology. And he's been so off base, but he seems to be on base here. But is he on base because somebody let him on base? Because one does not simply fly into insight. (laughs) No, I mean, I think Dolores needs him. And so... He, he's also handicapped uh, this season. I'm not sure exactly how, but I don't think this is like 100% potent Bernard that we're dealing with here. But um, That's a nice way of saying that he's a Walmart hardy boy. I get it. You, you phrased it better. The verbiage was better. I get it. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. He's a little bit, um, he's a little bit uh suspicious and he's a little bit uh paranoid right that Dolores is messing with his mind so that has left him in a situation in which he cannot fully operate right but how does he get in the insight who lets him in the insight because this seems very odd now well Colin's sacrifice does. yes yeah Martin does remember he, he was Martin. yeah from the from the party he has to get into the car and then from there Martin takes him to the headquarters so, and it's important to note, though, that Martin is Dolores, even though right. we see Martin. Martin yes, Martin bought the Dolores. <laughs> so my point is, Dolores was willing to kill herself because I, I really don't like to take away from that point. I think it's a really crucial point in the story, and I really think it adds a lot because all of these clones, these replicants, are Dolores. None are lesser because they aren't Evan Rachel Wood. So Dolores has just killed herself. I know the visual isn't there. 
but Dolores has just killed herself. Well, yeah, because she tells she tells the Martin bot or Martin Loris or whatever you want to call him Martin. that his first priority is to protect our friend. And then Martin later tells Bernard, you're the only one we can't replace, which leads to what's in Bernard. Like, what all have they stored in him? I mean, one of um, one of the things that uh, Brett had talked about, was it last week that you talked about Bernard being the encryption key, yeah. Brett? I got last week's yeah, notes right here. People, this yeah. is what we're dealing with here. All you other YouTubers, take note of this. This is all the real so, research. But, but I mean... I, I believe that Bernard does hold, is the encryption key or holds the encryption Abernathy, key. Abernathy, are you speaking of? But, well, no, not, yeah. no, because Abernathy was a one-time use key. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, similar to like what was in Abernathy, yes, I believe that's what, which he can, Brett, you can go into that in just a minute, but there's something in him and it might even be more than that because Dolores wants him to be protected. She mm-hmm. tells her other self, Martin, to protect him. Martin does protect him, and he specifically calls out, you're the only one we can't replace. Absolutely. That's what I so, wanted to clarify. He wasn't yes. the key in the sense of Abernathy. He's the key in the sense of how I talked about Caleb and Liam, how he said, you're the one. This is a similar situation which we're dealing with in which it's alluded to that there is a series of events and some causality that leads to certain people needing to do this or that. And it couldn't be more on the nose than right here with, with, with Bernard. So, uh, cause one does not simply fly into insight, but one does not simply answer that either. Uh, Brett, so please take your best <laughs> chance at it. Well, I, I do believe that Bernard has the encryption key in his head. And I had a theory going back a couple weeks that, the when in season two when he was uh handling Abernathy in the tent mm-hmm. and Abernathy was he hooks himself in yeah he hooks himself in and he makes it what well, I believe my interpretation is that he makes a copy of that key that says one time use key and he puts it in his own head and from that point forward we have not seen it or it has not been used. Because storing it doesn't mean using it. Like you're, you're, yeah, you're bringing up a very valid point that storing something does not mean implicating it. So yes, it still would be a one use key. Let's face it; they always give you a email check. But go ahead. And so he, the 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 one in Abernathy's head was eventually used in the forge, but the one in Bernard's head, I think everybody forgotten about, except probably Dolores. And I believe that is the encryption key that is going to unlock either the guest data or the virtual Eden, depending on who you ask. Whatever Dolores sent off when she was in the forge, which I believe to be the virtual Eden. Yes. She changed the coordinates at the last second. So I believe that's why Bernard is special. He has that key inside of his head. The forge, from all the information we've been given, and I even checked Reddit, which those people are what they are. Um, you know, uh, it, that you're just walking through some sewage there. Um, but um, yeah, you gotta be real careful. Oh yeah. Oh I know. Oh I know. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. No. If you do something that's right, they're like you stole it from us. I'm like, all right, Reddit. Knew how you do. <laughs> I used to have a segment called Let's Ask Reddit. So uh, no no shame to you, Reddit, whatsoever. Just get over yourselves. But anyways, uh, yeah, no, it, it is implied. The Redditors. You, <laughs> to get oh, I blame, I blame the institution. I blame, yeah. I don't believe, I believe the embodiment is truthful of the inception of the institution. Anyways, I run, yeah, I run Amino, so you know what I mean? 
a little bit of a bias. But anyways, no, I think that Brett's onto something here because it's been damaged. The forge has been damaged. It's been flooded. Okay, but the paradise is what, you know, Serac has promised Maeve. Uh, which is the everlasting life, which is the, not, the, the everlasting conversation. God save us all. Um, you know, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, so I think that you're onto something I don't there. Think that, I don't think that, that Maeve is buying what he's oh, selling. No, 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 no. I think that, yeah, like if Maeve's ever going to attach herself to an evil to, to conquer another, I, I don't see that. But why wouldn't you play along? You know what I mean? If there's ever a simulation that's happening here, it would be the one in which was clearly overtly stated in the first one anything in the real world to be a simulation would take away in my opinion of how we view humanity and that is part of this season a major part is humanity so we need to see it we don't need to have it blinded to us and i've always argued that you don't need to simulate a world in which reality is a very very fine line as we speak we walk razor's edge with the amount of determinism and free will in which we think we exhibit already so i think that you know what we've seen so far is what's happening uh yeah there's going to be trickery down the line with mave uh in, in mainly serac having a situation in which he has that in his bag of tricks and it will play out but uh you know the information in which is trying to get stripping from dolores is the information to the valley beyond that is the information that contains the the knowledge in which they need to operate ray they need this. They are essentially working off of backdated information. So the forge, I don't know, you can mix it, but uh, my understanding is damaged. I mean, it's kind of like just getting into like the, the nonsensical little details at that point. But I agree with you, Brett. Like, I think it's, you know, the, the promise of Eden. Yes. Yeah. And also, I, I did want to throw out an alternate idea out there as far as that line, what what makes Bernard special that's irreplaceable? One could be the encryption key. Another thing is that Ford was in his head. Like when he was in the cradle, Ford merged himself onto his pearl, so to speak, because Ford's pearl was originally dropped in the cradle. So it's almost like Bernard, at least for a time there, had Ford like directly, you know, downloaded into him. And if it's true that that uh, no no information can actually be permanently deleted from a pearl. If that's you know that's a running theory that I like, then it could be that Ford is still in there and could come back into play, and that's why he's irreplaceable. Yes, Ford planned it all forever, forever, forever will always be, and that's one of the problems with Westworld, and one of the best parts of it. You know, uh, another paradox for you is it's always somebody planned it all. Uh, but there comes a point. Where, no, I agree with you on the point of. Ford will come back. He'll definitely come back in a sentimental, like, vision of some sort with Bernard or Dolores. He is the start of this. He will be the end of this. But we do see a lot of the duality and we see a lot of the uh, parallel storytelling with him. So we do end the episode with Liam being shot uh, just really quickly. Um, Jenny, yes or no? Is he dead? Liam? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Brett, dead? Live? Yeah, I assume he's dead. There you go. Oh, you, you pessimist. Right there. No, I, I'd call you a realist. No, I, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate. I have no theories about Liam. No, I love it. I love dealing with people that are straight up. It's like, oh, this is what we were shown. So we'll go ahead and take what we were shown. That, that, that's actually very refreshing. Thank you. There's a line about before he dies. There's a line about you can't kill him because, um, if you do, then I lose access to Rehoboam. So 
The only reason that maybe he is still alive, like barely or in some way, is that Dolores actually still needs him alive. Well, I'm throwing the notes now. Now I'm throwing the notes. You can't see on camera. She doesn't need him anymore. And we saw her in the next scene talking to Ciroc, you know, so. Right. She had said at the one point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, She had said at the one point that that she they couldn't kill him because, uh, they, she needed him alive for his access, but then when they were, were on the beach, she's like, we don't need him anymore. Yeah, it makes... Yeah. What do you want to do with him? I wanted to close so. it off with that, and, and I'm so thankful that you realized that, because what was the point of this ride? From the very get-go, he's a surface level, and uh, Brett, if you want to dive into, like, uh, because in your notes you do, you know, discuss how this is, there's levels to this game. And there's a surface level, um, you know, access, and then there's a the steeper access. And now Nolan admittedly takes a very base level approach to this tech, which I admire because let's face it, it's about the story. It's not about teaching you about artificial intelligence or, or predictive technology. But at the same time, it's like, how long have we known that Liam didn't know shit? He just kind of has that look on his face, doesn't he? G- Gallagher? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He does look pretty clueless. <laughs> yeah, we need that guy, and he's drooling in the corner. You're like, oh, okay, I guess that's a master plan of some sort. But what was the point of this? Like, was the point of this to bring Caleb? Because I think that what we're but leading yeah, to, can... sorry, is just this moment where we have this revelation well, the point... of these things, this causality needed to happen. You know, this X meets the O, and then it's like, oh, well, this needed to happen on the beach. Because a lot of, but again, I don't want to fall victim to what I really do criticize even my, my colleagues about is, is looking at some things that are wrong with the plot, some plot holes in some narrative inconsistencies. And they're like, well, this must be this, you know, and they're far smarter about it, but it's not necessarily something that's true. Well, I, I'm going to go ahead and go into my, th- my, my overall theory for what Dolores's master plan is. Nail it. And it doesn't. It does involve, you know, needing Liam. Um, this is going to be a standalone so section, the by the way. Is trying. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> I think you should tell him about or talk about the Martin Bot Pearl leading into yes. the end game. You need to give me context. Hey, hold on, let me, let me yeah. give an intro. Uh, yeah. Take a little break from this show to remind you again of our amazing presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. They've been with us for over a year. We're so proud to have them. So go out and support them. If you're a listener to any of our podcasts, take a moment right now, type in cufflinks.com slash DVR into that old web browser and you will arrive and you will be amazed, happy, surprised at the amazing products that cufflinks.com has. You might think to yourself, hey, I don't have an informal event coming up. You know, I'm not into cufflinks. But guess what? They have a lot more than that. Actually, I'm wearing a pair of Star Wars socks that they sent me. Cufflinks.com is where it's at. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Brett's <laughs> Endgame Theory. I won't say Final Solution. That doesn't sound good. So this is Brett's Endgame Theory about what Westworld means and what the meaning of life <laughs> itself means. I cannot stress enough how how impactful this is going to be. Go ahead, Brett, and don't feel uh, whatsoever on, on on the spot right there. Just tell me what I'm why I'm here. Well, to just to be Jenny, I'm going to preface this by quickly saying um, a theory that 
you you talked about Dolores killed herself. Mm-hmm. You know, the Martin Dolores killed herself. And I believe that Martin Bott's pearl was actually recovered by Dolores. That weird bag that was delivered to Caleb in the hangar at the end of the episode, I believe could have been the remains of Martin if Dolores wanted to, you know, scrub clean any evidence of this non-human entity up there and at the same time obviously try to get that pearl, which is virtually indestructible, which we saw last year, you know, when Teddy shot himself. Um, so it could, it could, she, it could she live out she, that explosion, right? Yeah, she, she summoned a, a Rico at mission for God to clean it up and put it in a bag and deliver it to the hangar. So that, it could be that she has that pearl back. But leading into my in-game theory, I believe Dolores' plan is to trap all the humans inside of a, of a virtual heaven. So we know there are many layers to Rehoboam. Initially, there was the surface level that Dolores was able to test, and then she needed the read-only access level that and that beyond that, being connected at the node, she was go she was able to go a little deeper, and she was able to access and share everyone's profile data. But it begs the question: What are the deeper layers that she's trying to reach, and could these layers actually? directly access and control the computer chip inside of every person. We've already seen this mouth chip and Caleb control his heart rate, and we know that it has a, a drip, so to speak, that probably alters mood. Yeah. Serotonin, we, dopamine. Also, yeah. So, And we've also seen these hologram glasses that allow people to actually witness scenarios inside Rehoboam. Scenarios that are controlled by an outside party, like in the first episode when Dolores put the glasses on that Jerry guy and she was able to control what he was seeing. And then uh, the scene with Ciroc in Arnold's yep. house. Charlotte put those glasses Joker. on before she it's it's called like uh, yeah. like Google Glass tech, but like, you know, 50 years from now. <laughs> but that, but that guy, when he put the glasses on, was actually seeing what could happen to his family. Like inside the system. Yeah. So it was a glimpse inside the system. So, and I surmise that this assault on your visual cortex may also be achieved through other means, like this communion wafer or the, the host uh, of God, psycho, if you're a Catholic. Psychopharm drugs or who knows what other kind of tech out there. Soma. So if you, <laughs> if you can control the sensory perception of a person along with controlling their mood and their vitals, then you can basically control where they think and feel that they are. Yes. Genre. And if, mm-hmm. uh, so Dolores tells Caleb that there's a composite of everyone inside Rehoboam. So if you can use these deep level powers, you can make a person see and experience whatever is playing out for their composite self. Bam. And if you do that, or if Dolores wants to do that, what if she traps them to experience this permanently? Yeah, this illusion. That is the so, best. Ex- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm, just, I'm getting excited because you've just given like like proof to how because everybody just keeps saying predictive technology simulates. No, guess what it does? It runs numbers. It doesn't project. It's not a holograph. Okay, and you've just given ample proof on four different levels with sensorium, 
with drugs, with this tech, you've given ample proof. I'm not even saying I agree, but I just love the amount of actual like intellect and insight that has went into this. This is valid. Keep going. Please tell me to shut up. Please tell me just to shut up and keep going, brother. Shut up, Justin. Thank you. (laughs) I need it. Uh, The next next level of this is, okay, so right now the virtual world inside Rehoboam is a mirror of the real world. Mm-hmm. But I think it necessarily has to be. We know inside the forge, Dolores changed the coordinates and sent the virtual Eden somewhere, waiting to be unlocked with this encryption key. If she had sent this into Rehoboam and is planning to unlock it, what would happen? Just like with the hosts walking through the door into the virtual Eden, the host data was retained while their sense of time, place, and perception was molded into something of their choice. The same could be true of these human composites. Their identities remain intact, but questions of where they are and what they perceive become whatever they want. Right. Remember when they walked into the virtual Eden and you saw them and they were actually falling off the cliff? Yeah. Their bodies. Their their bodies were falling off the cliff. Yeah, but they were running off into the Eden. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to tell tales outside of school, but don't we kind of like perceive time by where we are, not when we are. This is a, um, you know, a. Yes, no, it is a quantum computer, which would defy space and time because we decide when we are by where we are. Gravity. I have a very, very childish like knowledge of this and understanding, but it is true, right? Yeah, well, t- that's I mean, time is just another dimension, some would say, but. Um, so basically I, I think y'all know where I'm going with this. So it could become whatever they want. A place where your memories are safe is what Akacheta said, a place where your memory or where your dreams come true. Dolores could consider this an olive branch, which is essentially the same described with the hosts at the end of season two. She could allow the humans to choose where they want to be and where they want to exist. As long as it's not in her world, the real world. Ooh, so what is real allegory of the cave? I've never loved something so much and hated it so much, Brett. I'm, I'm being dead serious. You just fucked me with logic. And I'm going to pay you and say thank you, sir. You have this and on I'm tape. over here with the Laverne and Shirley theme song running through my head where we're making all our dreams come true. Yeah. Oh, oh, where the dreams come true. Disney World. I mean, well, I'll, Beyond. I'll let that stay in this. You know, we've heard this a couple of different times so far this season, but a direct Surat quote says, sadly, there is no place for your kind and mine sharing a world. Right. This would be Dolores flipping that, saying, well, this is my world. Where's your world going to be? Yeah. But she could make make an exception for certain people, i.e. outliers like Caleb. Like Hitler made for Stalin. Um, We we, we are getting there. No, but it is. But, I mean, don't you agree that they both have these, like, uh, over aggressive revolutionary uh, approaches you know like this is where revolutionary um has the terror trump the revolution in my opinion like it's a little bit of a commentary about how to get what's right we get so fed up with how things are these days that we are willing to get rid of those simply or re-educate them 
you know, it, it, so we don't have to deal with it because we want to make things right. It's not like anybody's going about this in a way of like, oh, I want to have the world be horrible. But I mean, it is commentary on like how much do we want things to be safe and secure? And then how much do we want to have things be real? Because we predict the stock market. We predict all of these things. But then when it gets into predictive technology that, that comes into our, you know, domestic lives, then we have a little bit of an issue with it. So it's like, have we drawn the line in the sand? And it's, you know, been swept away a long time ago. Or is this just, you know, something that's totally unrealistic? I think this is something that's already happening to a point. I think that even Alexa, and I turned her off so she wouldn't open her mouth because it's happened before. You know, even her... Oh my gosh, I was just thinking about that. I was thinking about the Facebook ads and the Google ads and this, like, yeah... We have it going on already. Continue. Sorry. Well, no. Uh, yeah. No. It, well, she will. It, it's the point of if you even. Okay. Say you want. This goes back to marketing, which I went to school for a little bit of everything. Got a degree in nothing. So you have a, a system in which advertises to you. Right. So you might have a favorite restaurant and you might end up eating the burritos from that favorite, you know, um, Mexican restaurant that you always go to anyways. But the point is, if you suggested something, you don't fully have agency over that decision in the end, because at the very end, something else stepped in and made a decision for you. So what is advantageous for a system that is predicted for you? What's advantageous is that system keeps you in a box and that denies you the ability to adapt because adaption as Sirach says, is not advantageous for when you need to predict society. So predictive technology doesn't so much predict as it is dictate what's happening. And I think it is a a slow, slow burn, but it is a crutch. It is a hobble that leads to a crutch that leads to being paralyzed. And I think that we see it. I don't believe in this whole, like, the machines will rise up type of deal, but I believe in that we will become so stupid. Because of the reliance on technology. You tell me if a nano chip in your brain teaches your kid. Oh my God, those EMTs. Yeah. That, no, good point. Yeah, they couldn't do it because the machine didn't tell us. I I was so mad because it's, well, part of my, my major issue with them was that they were being called EMTs because they're not EMTs. They're just fucking Joe Schmo from down the road who got in there and is supposed to like, run run this little simulation turn the power on and turn it off tell me what to do like he oh that made me so angry oh you know and it was that's how it was supposed to be because but it was it was aggravating because like seriously you should still be trained on how to do your job well in all fairness jenny they put on the clothes And they went in in the truck and they were like well we, we don't know what to do but that's where i argue that accessibility doesn't equal capability the accessibility of knowledge becomes more and more prevalent more and more easily accessed right that's what accessibility means so when you bring your kid to go learn learn calculus and to get the nano chip what's going to be the fiscal benefit what is going to be the time everything adds up to we will just go with the easy road and let these chips let this artificial technology hobble us to the point in which we are just so relying on us on this, that if you turn off the power on it, you're going to have a bunch of drooling fools. You know, evolution is not linear. It, it is not this like progressive state in which we keep getting smarter and smarter. I think, come on, we proved this. So it is this um, idea that technology keeps making us better. It does, but that's also kind of a problem because if one city runs off of one power grid and somebody snaps the power on it, they're doomed. 
So, you know, it also leaves you open. So I think that's kind of the commentary that they're going with here. And where does this safety and security and, you know, this knowing that everything's going to be all right infringe on our ability to be free will, non-determined, you know, um, citizens? And my final note on it is, is libertarian determinism. The idea that the box is already shaped, the shape is already formed. We can color it however you want to color it, meaning the motion you color in however you want, meaning you can react to what's happening to you the best you can. But what's happening to you will, will happen to you. And this is kind of what Ciroc is giving to the world is this is the box you're in. Color it orange, color it red, purple, even mango, if you want to get crazy with it. But, you know, I mean, it is like this idea. And it, it, it's, you know, ideally something that people are going to be, you know, going for. It's something that people are going to be very susceptible for is what I mean. So it's, you know, it, it is fighting against ourselves just as much as fighting against the system because we are so susceptible to taking shortcuts. I, I, I cannot think of one generation that has thought more than their kids ahead and mostly not even their children. So it, I don't think it's really a far reach to think that we wouldn't, you know, keep hobbling ourselves for, for this type of tech. But I think that this episode did a wonderful job of giving us the insight into what's going on with Ciroc and also leaves us with two major questions that I'm going to leave you guys with. What do you think possibly other than a host situation with Caleb could be this key? And same with Bernard. I see two keys right there that we've been left with. Would you agree those are the major takeaways? And please, by no means find it necessary to agree with me in any in any sense it's usually not advantageous but i i see that as a big takeaway here is it, we have two keys we've got two gaps in our story that could be filled with some type of westworld-esque connection with continuity that we could see in the final episode episode eight with this twist and i see it with bernard and i see it with uh caleb i i actually do tend to agree that those are going to be the big takeaways from this season yes I don't yeah. feel like elaborating anymore. Continue, Brett. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Bernard. Yeah. Bernard's really interesting. He's always, he's obviously been uh, handicapped. Like I said earlier in a way, however Dolores built him, there are holes in him that he's trying to figure out. So that, that should be interesting with Caleb. I'm not sure exactly how he fits in to her end game, but obviously he's, of vital importance because she basically blew her own cover in order to save his life. Yes. So there's no way she would have done that if he wasn't absolutely essential. And also if Bernard can be created by memories by Dolores, do we have to assume that the Lori will become obsolete? I don't know. Uh, we talked a little bit about was, I think that was last week. I keep attributing everything to last week, but when we were, but last week was Trace the decay. episode where we, right, where we talked about all the different, uh, bots that Dolores had put her, uh, brain pearl into. Um, but like they've become, they've become different. They're mm-hmm. not just Dolores anymore. I don't think I feel like they have, you know, because they, they were like I said last week, several times they were like spokes on a wheel. Like they started out with this specific Dolores knowledge, but then as they went on their path, as the Charlotte bot went out yes. on her path and as the Martin bot went out on his path and nature it, versus nurture, whatever his name is, um, the, the Yakuza one. Um, Masashi. 
thank you. <laughs> I was like, what was his name? Musashi. They they all had They said the same thing when they thought who to make it. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> they they all had different experiences and they've developed into different people. So uh that was also one of Brett's uh possible theories was that the different um Dolores's would mutiny against her in the end as part of the Ooh. end game. Because so, we converge on that one. That 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 was an interesting one, but I mean, I think that there's a, there's a lot coming, and uh, we still only have three episodes left to uh, see what happens. It's going to be one. hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, I was on the same page with that because it, it should be a blink of an eye when you make a replicant, right? If these pearls are up to date, which I put this out on Twitter, you know, and I did a video on it with uh, a few biblical references and like what comes after uh, Rehoboam, which is Zeroboam, which is the first non-Davidian king that comes to power which would mean Dolores, but also that king doesn't do so well because it doesn't keep with the crowd. So you would be dealing with a situation in which you have, yes, a revolution, but not a successful reign per se. But yes, they diverge. And I've been answering questions on Twitter that, you know, were put out because of the pre-show. And I, you know, they don't, some people are really posing the question of why does one need to cuddle with Dolores and have all this, you know, emotional distress when the others don't. It's like, well, number one, you know, it's a story in the thematic sense. And I know it's not the most exciting aspect of it, but they would all diverge. Every single experience, if you clone four Bretts or four Jennies and you put them out on separate paths. Oh, God, no. No, we will. I don't. Oh, trust me. I want one. I want one. I want one. I call one of each. Call one of each. So don't even. Yeah. 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 Mine, 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 mine dibs. But anyways, you know, you put them on different separate paths. When they converge, they're going to have different experiences and be different people. We think about our emotional spine and who we are is so finite. I always make the joke of you ever meet somebody like from college and you're, you know, for a drink and then maybe one person says you've changed and it's absolutely to them like obscene that they could have changed not only like psychologically philosophically but like you know like physiologically like oh no no it's not even possible your girlfriend this is yes misogynistic but your girlfriend boots you oh god can you change i've changed already change is so possible yeah so it is about what makes you you it's about what makes reality reality and how much free will we actually have within this world the story of westworld is what makes us who we are and what is ethical behavior not what you know is deserving of it or not deserving of it you know again so it's it's a broader uh picture in the long run and i really find that fascinating you know that the dolores inhale delori they significantly differ in the role. It's like a spy you yeah. put into it, right? Like that is the one that differs the most. I don't mean to say Cullen's like I, I use a military as an analogy and it is not a at all like a down on it, but the military sets you into like a like, you know, more like routine and stuff like that. So like it is good for people that are very like uh um asystematic, whatever you want to call it. You know, that want to like have like, you know, a routine and a schedule to follow that is set up by somebody else. Not saying anything bad about it, but I'm saying that like Cullen's has the bodyguard duty masashi a lot of us didn't even know his name it seems like you know like it's just kind of a plot convenience it needed to be somebody for mave to recognize and say this isn't right because you cloned yourself what does a group effort say if you say who's on board well it's justin the other justin and then that justin they're like well that doesn't sound like a group effort so that point needed to be made but yeah the the hail delori is the one that diverges the most it's the one that well, has to deal with humanity <clears throat> in in a different way i agree and uh the conversation between bernard and martin bot alluded to that but uh, bernard said when you're living someone else's life worlds start to bleed together. yes so we're gonna see that with 
Hale-Bot. Char- the real Charlotte Hale is going to start bleeding into her world in some fashion. I'm not, I'm not sure what that looks like, but it should be interesting. And I, I don't see Hale-Bot and Dolores coexisting. So I think one of those two has to be taken yes. out. Hale will form a relationship with Nathan, in my opinion, and the pearls will keep replicating. Every pearl that is replicated will essentially become another being. They don't need to appropriate in the way we do. It is a biological sense. It's only natural because we say it is. So, yeah, you know, consciousness and, uh, you know, uh, awareness can be um, existent in things that aren't us. Sad to say we're not that special. I think at least that's the mission statement of the show, um, you know, and, and so forth. So I, 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 I'm go special, ahead. damn it. No, you are. Jenny, Jenny, I'll take I mean, come on. You just said you want to replicate. I mean, come on. Yeah, so <laughs> if, if, you, if you don't think you're special, then, you know, come on, don't don't fight the clone thing. We need one. Uh, no, I can't thank you guys enough. It's, it's a hell of a lot of fun to, to fill in for W. Axel Foley. He has been the most kind hand, and he's so good in conversation because I can go off on rants, and he can balance me out. He can take a phone call from me in the middle of the night with my emotions and all that. Um, you know, not so much a spooning situation, but similar. <laughs> similar. It does Does it freak you guys out that he's at, he's abnormally tall? He's like six three or something. That that for some reason. How tall are you, My Brett? My daughter's dad is six four. So oh, you're more used to it. I'm six. And I actually dated a guy who was six foot. Seven. Well, now you're making me feel inadequate. <laughs> well, I'm not. But my met- my kids are abnormally tall. <laughs> I still have not met Axel in person. So Neither I'm have I. I'm I'm afraid to. So I'm not sure that's real. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I question the nature of his height because he's too tall. He's like six four. He's like an NBA player. I'm six foot. I can't deal. It's my ego. It's my insecurity. Five five. Well, thank you. My son is six foot and my daughter is five ten. Oh, you do have tall jeans. Yeah. No, he told me he was six four, like two thirty five. Over me. I was like, that doesn't add up. Like I was like, that doesn't fit with my internal narrative. But again, the perception of reality. So enough talking about Axel's height, which I have to edit out. Um. Anyways, no. Oh, he, come on. He is a lovely gentleman, <laughs> and, and he covers everything. And he's got three different Westworld shows. I can barely handle my one. So yeah, congratulations to him. Congratulations to Daily DVR. Congratulations to the catchphrase and coining a baby, uh, which I try to steal as much as possible. But no, he's been a good friend, and um, I, I I've read your guys' notes before when we had a podcast, I believe, on the um mayans and i told him i go that's gold you know this is gold yeah, i always send in a lot of notes. oh so much more more than more than the producers jenny more than they sent <laughs> trust me i was like well jenny has a very insightful perspective too bad that's not what the show is gonna be uh but no no it is what I it write is a lot damn it i write a lot <laughs> well you're you do your due diligence you do your work and um you know this is going to be on the podcast we're going to put a little bit of it on the youtube it is not a better or worse medium it is just simply different thank you for showing your beautiful faces on screen with me thank you for sharing anything that you'd like to leave off any plugs or anything like that or any like big profound statements that you want to make like on like the stance of where the hosts will you know end up our humanity in general our can determinism exist in a free will being uh filled uh universe or anything like that any profound thoughts like that on a philosophical level feel free to to go ahead and do that and um yeah no this is top shelf fandom i'm justin thomas i'm so lucky to have two intellectual um people on here that have had great theories and insight and brett you blew my mind with your uh you had my attention or my curiosity, now you have my attention. Because you said, this is like this, and guess what you did that nobody ever does? Followed it up with information. 
That's crazy. Oh, like, that God. shit don't happen on here. It's what insane. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, whoa, this guy's, like, backing up what he says? Holy crap. Yeah, YouTube won't think nice to that. So, I uh, know I can't thank you guys enough. Cufflinks.com, I believe, is a sponsor of not me, but Axel, and rightfully so. So, make sure to check that out. Uh, also, he has a show on Monday. He has a show on Friday. Um, all other television shows that are currently on TV, he is covering. Um, he's probably watching The Bachelor right now and uh, writing down notes about that. So, um, yes, thank you. Don't let me roll my eyes out loud on that. <laughs> hey, is, is a capitalistic uh, approach to it. I, I admire him for it. Um, he so- has a good time. I'm uh, podcasting about The Bachelor with Sarah on our DVR podcast <laughs> network. But I am going to say thank you for joining us tonight, Justin. It was great talking with you. Uh, everyone, subscribe to the Westworld Theorycast podcast. Give us some likes. Uh, give us some stars and all that jazz. And everybody stay safe and healthy in this time of this crappy COVID-19 Socially distance. Watch us on YouTube. Listen to us on the podcast. Yeah, it's kind of working and out. And take care of yourselves, everyone. And thanks for listening slash watching. Yeah, leave one review that says, "I like that Justin fella." You don't have to mean it. Be like, ah, that guy's got gumption. He's he's got he's got it. Uh, he's got gusto. So, uh, Brett, uh, say your piece. And yeah, I can't thank you guys enough. I've admired you from afar in the least stalkerous way I can phrase it. Um, yeah, but no, I've seen your work before, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's an honor to have you on top shelf, Phantom. Uh, Brett, say your piece, and we will go from there and start questioning the nature of this very reality. Well, if y'all are on Twitter, I. Uh been trying to compile some of my theories over there so you can follow me at at Bretual. and uh, otherwise I just wanted to thank you Justin it's been a lot of fun and I look forward to doing it again no yeah absolutely yeah and, and look at that look at the um, actual like like credence to him just putting the series out on Twitter I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give you some contacts <laughs> on YouTube you could you could sell them to people there's a lot of people that just know how to speak not how to think on here so yeah no it's uh it, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a twist for them so plot twist somebody knew something all right ladies and gentlemen we will see you soon or you'll see you know the good people soon probably not no I believe we're together next week you'll as well see us again next week yes you will.